Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope that today's message will inspire you to grow in your journey of faith. We believe that hope is for everyone. So, no matter where you find yourself on your journey of faith, we believe Jesus is willing to meet you right where you're at. So again, thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So we're going to pick up, I promised you last week, speaking of miracles, I'm going to finish last week's sermon, okay? Uh, I promised you I would, but I may or may not have added an extra point to it. So we're really going to test the boundaries here this, this weekend. But as you know, or if you've been tracking with us, we began a series that we're calling We and we're filling in the blank. And we've been talking about how what, what and who we're called to be as a church, right? We, we addressed first week that we are a church. We are a community. We're a community with a cause, right? We're a community of commitment. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this idea of a community in unity. And I, I'm going to recap a few things, but I just want to encourage you, if you haven't yet listened to, especially the last week's message, I want to encourage you, get on YouTube, get on our podcast, get on our website, wherever it is, and listen to it. Today's sermon will make a lot more sense with that uh, in you. But uh, we're going to open up our Bibles again to the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 133, and we're going to read... Uh, based on where we read last week on this idea of we are truly called to be a community in unity. And it says this, behold, how good, say with me, good, good. and pleasant, say with me, pleasant, pleasant, it is when brothers dwell in unity. When we dwell in unity, it's what? It's good and it's pleasant. Right off the bat. And then just as, as the writer of Psalms just poetically expresses, he begins to say, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. I explained all this last week, so if it doesn't make sense to you, then again, go back to last week. And it, it, on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, you know, some of you guys, you have great beards like our worship leader, Seth. Like, I wish I had that majestic of a beard. But that's not the beard we're talking about. Anyway, running down the collar of his robes, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, say with me, there. There. Say here. Here. Here is where the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Father, I thank you for your word. God, your word lights our path. Your word guides us and directs us. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, man, woman, child, young, old, in between, walking with you for a long time, just starting out in faith, maybe have a ton of questions about faith, haven't even made the decision to walk with you. I pray today that through your spirit, God, you would speak to every heart in this room, God, and that today we would walk out of here, not just as hearers of your words, but also doer of your words, God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, if you know me, you know that I'm kind of a dreams and ideas kind of a guy. Uh, in, in fact, uh, it, it, I think it's what makes me a semi-decent lead pastor at times, but the people that bear most of the grunt of this is, is going to be my family, right? Because I'll wake up one day and I have a grandiose idea. We're packing up and we're going to the mountains and we're going to spend a full day there and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and we're going to explore. And as soon as I'm expressing it, you can just begin to see the anxiety well up in my, in my wife's eyes, right? And then she begins to go, okay, 
do you know that in order to do that, we're going to have to do this, do this, do this, and you know how to, what, what it's going to take to coordinate for seven people, right? We have five kids. And then you can just begin to see the anxiety. And, and, and a lot of times when I have these grand ideas, my family, they're good sports about it. There's some that kind of go dragging their feet on these adventures. Some of them go excited. And for the most part, they'll kind of oblige and just like, all right, we'll endure this thing. I, I, I guess we'll see what happens. Uh, likewise, my wife, randomly, will be like, you know what I haven't done is redone the entire interior of our home in, in exactly two weeks. So let's just repaint every room. And come on, kids, let's all move all the furniture into the garage. And, and we all kind of just like roll with it. We just oblige and just kind of get it done. But you know what's different bet between those two scenarios is, is it's when when everyone has the same idea. And so about two years ago, we all had this idea of taking the family to Disneyland for the very first time. Now I'll tell you, everyone agreed to that idea. Everyone loved that idea. No one was dragging their feet. Everyone loved it. What is that? How does that relate to what we're talking about today? Well, isn't it true that when we're united in a mission, there's great delight when we all desire it. Yes. Yeah. It's different than just having to endure somebody's idea and kind of just obliging them. But there's something more enjoyable and more delightful when we together are united and under one same mission do everything we can to accomplish it. Yes. This is what I'm talking about today. We as a community are called to delight in our unity. That there's actual pleasure and enjoyment when we experience great unity. But I want to remind you, like I said, of a few things that we talked about last week in regards to unity. We, we talked about how unity says that we are better together. Y'all remember that? Right? We, say, we talked about how unity releases Power. We talked about how division and exclusion and isolation are all tactics of the enemy. And that the only way we overcome that is by being a community that's not just in unity, but lives our lives openly, transparent. And then we humbly accept one another. Right? We, we even talked about how the unity releases power to such a point where we even read how in the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, these, uh, the tongues are released as, as literally as a redemption of what had taken place in the division of the Tower of Babel. Right? It wasn't this weird witchcrafty thing, but it was God going, I'm reversing, in a sense, the curse of division and I'm unifying us. Remember that, right? So today I want to talk to you about two things. The first thing is I want to tell you that unity brings delight. Yes. Yeah. Psalms 133 verse 1. Behold how good and pleasant. How good and pleasant. That sounds delightful, doesn't it? How, how good and how pleasant. I would say pretty stinking good and pleasant. You know, I don't make it a practice to add to the Bible. Uh, but if I were to kind of add to this, I'd go, man, how amazingly good and stinkingly pleasant it is when we're united. Right? The opposite of that is how terrible and hurtful and painful and ugly it is when we are divided. Did you know that you and I have the permission to delight in one another? Yep. 
Did you know we're called to delight ourselves in the Lord? Living with the delight of unity directly ties into how we are called to work towards living in peace and harmony to the best of our ability with one another. Paul instructs the church in the New Testament, encouraging us all to do everything we can in our power to live peacefully and in harmony with one another. But the reason I think some of us haven't fully understood that unity brings delight, it's because we've robbed ourselves of the opportunity of living a delightful life. In fact, when I began to talk about how there's delight and there's pleasant things and there's beautiful, some of you are already resisting that because you think, uh, Tony, you're not just called to just be a positive speaker. We're not just called to positive thinking, and, and if you're, you're really judgmental, you probably go, careful, Tony, you're kind of starting to sound like, name the preacher that you criticize that only talks about positive things. And I believe we have fallen for this lie that, yes, absolutely, in God, I'm going to tell you in God, Jesus himself said it this way. I shared it with my children. I said, Jesus himself goes, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I get that. But also Jesus also said that he gave us to give us life and that much more abundantly. And I believe some of us have fallen into a trap of believing the lie that there is nothing that we can delight in on this side of eternity. That on this side of eternity, well, we're damned. And, and thank God that, you know, Jesus redeemed us. But at the end of the day, we're just damned to suffering. And if it wasn't for Adam and Eve... And I'm here to tell you, God's got good things for you. I'm going to get brave and tell you, I'm going to tell some of you grumpy folk out there, Jesus has a smile to give you. Notice how I made sure not to look at any of you directly in the eye. I kind of just went like this. You know what happens a lot of times, though, is we forget that we're called to delight in one another, and so we make small things big and big things small. And if we're going to delight in unity, my friend, I, I want to encourage you, keep the main thing the main thing. Yes, capitalize on the big things, but leave the small things small. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. I'm going to read it slowly, but then we're going to break it down. It says, put on then, as God's chosen ones, this is Paul speaking to the church on the subject of unity. Put on then, as God's chosen, right off the bat, he goes, you have an identity. And that identity should align to your character. And your character should align to that identity. So as God's chosen ones that are holy and beloved. Look at that. Come on. You are beloved. We put on compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness. Patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, go talk to your friends behind their back and trash talk them. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving them. Yes. Yes. 
just as the Lord has held every grudge against you. You know this is just the oldest tactic in the book to see who's paying attention or not. Some of y'all almost said, amen, amen, amen. You woke up from your slumber, amen. Don't worry, we'll wake you up here real soon. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Must. Must. Can I just tell you, this is challenging for, for your boy right here. And above all these, above all these, you know what's interesting? He begins this text with talking about how you're beloved and then begins to wrap up the text with love. So above all this, it says, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Man, there's so much here. I a little mini sermonette. I just want to tell you one quick parenthesis. Um, something will rule you. I don't know if you know this, but you will be ruled by something. Okay, it's not just like life is happening to me. You're ruled by something. And Paul's calling us to allow the peace of God to rule our hearts. And look at this, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, not just tickling your ears. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do, look at this, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then again, he ends it with giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know why it's important for you to not just take notes on a Sunday and then leave them in your Bible, uh, but actually go home and then go study some of this stuff? Is that context is very important. And the verse leading up to this beautiful segment, Paul says this, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, before Paul says, this is what unity looks like, I need you to understand that everything that was once used to label and isolate you and divide you is no longer the way God sees the design of unity in his children. My background, where I come from, the people I was born to, if I'm rich, if I'm poor, if I think this way or another, if I was raised this way, raised in this region. No, no, no. God goes, the, uh, God, Paul goes, the great unifier is Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yes. And so as a result of that, let me lay out these steps towards unity, if you will. And so we see here, I, I, want, you to, I want you to take note of this. In this scripture, we're going to break this down. There's elements that lead to unity. Number one, it's recognizing we have a chosen identity as holy and beloved children. Somebody in this room needs to hear this today. Even, even your mistakes cannot cause God to love you less. I'm going to say it over to this side, see if they believe me. Even your mistakes, past, present, future, cannot Make God love you any less. Now, I feel like somebody in the middle section needs to hear this. 
If that's true, it also means even your greatest victories can't make God love you more. So if I'm going to delight in unity, i got to first understand that my identity is one of a person who is loved right here in this moment, fully loved. When we, here's why it's important for you and I to understand that. Some of you are concerned right now going, Tony, you're really going to go into the self-love message. Let me tell you why it's important for you to understand just how deeply loved you are. Because you can't love your neighbor unless you first learn to love yourself. Now, don't get it twisted. It's not you can't serve your neighbor unless you first serve yourself. It's not literal. It's... Unless I understand that this is how God loves me, yes. that I can't love other people that way. Yes. Yeah. And if you're honest, the reason why you struggle loving people that don't look like you, don't vote like you, don't come from the same background as you, is because you haven't yet accepted that God loves you in this way. Yes. The next element, compassionate hearts. Um, i got to tell you, I think it's really sad when the narrative out in culture is that the church is more interested in crowds than displaying compassion to the individuals. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just going to drop, because each one of these could be a sermon, so I'm going to be mindful of time, but I, especially because the worship team now has been instructed to just cut me off at a specific time no matter what. <laughs> Really, it's mainly to save my integrity towards you. Um, but I, I'm going to say it this way. I think we need to be careful about relegating compassion to just organizations. I'm just, I just don't see... Um, yeah, no, i got to preach it. I just don't see Jesus... I, I don't see Jesus relegating compassion to the government. I'm not getting political, y'all. I, I promise you. I don't see Jesus relegating compassion. No, no. It says, he was moved with compassion, therefore he took action. Yes. Yeah. yes. Amen. I, okay, I'm going to leave that there, okay? Because so I really got to go in on this next one. Kindness is another element of unity. Kindness. Um, so, I was at a conference a couple years ago, and uh, one of my favorite preachers uh, got up there in front of thousands of of global leaders, and he preached a sermon that he titled, I am sick of mean Christians. <laughs> and he proceeded to talk to us about how mean some of us are. And I just want to tell you, church, if we're to be united, Kindness should be a characteristic that flows out of us. And it's sad to me again that the narrative outside of these four walls at times can be the church is more known for what they stand against than what they stand for. And so we're really loud about the message of how you're a sinner and how you're going to go to hell and how you're going to do all this. And we're really quiet and discreet and when we over-spiritualize it, it's because Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Yeah. 
Come on. May our kindness be louder. Okay, if it's not a great, if I'm not making sense for you yet, what I mean is this. How you respond to the grocery clerk that's taking too long to bag your things when you're in a rush matters. How you respond to the server at the restaurant who didn't, who brought you too much ice when you said clearly, light ice. I'm not going to say who, but someone that I know would go to a restaurant and it was so, and you guys, this was embarrassing for me. They'd lay out 20 $1 bills on the table and the server would come and he would say, for every mistake you make, I take one away. And he'd have the audacity to then invite them to the church. All of you are appalled. But I love you enough to tell you, you've done something along those lines, whether in your heart, in your mind, or in your actions and words at some point. Do you immediately go to the HOA when that neighbor that doesn't put away his garbage cans? Or do you take the 30 seconds to roll up the garbage cans for that neighbor? I just... And, and, and I, I should have said this earlier, but I got to tell you, this is something I'm being challenged in. Because my mentality in the past was, if I pay good money for it, then I better get what I paid for. So I would treat servers in that way. I, I, I treat service workers that way. And, and, and I'm, I'm being challenged. I've been convicted in this. I take it all the way. If anyone ever, a server or anybody apologizes to me, I go... That's minimal. This is way more important than, what, than the mistake you've made. I literally take it a step further. Are we known for our kindness? I'll leave it there. Humility. Again, all these I could preach on their own. Meekness. Can I just tell you one thing about meekness? Is that I know that it sounds like weakness. But actually, it is a definition of strength. Because it's actually in the original text. Meekness, the word here, means power that is bridled. It's power that's bridled. I have so much self-control, I know how and when to use power. That's meekness. Patience. One of the worst things in life is waiting. One of the worst things in life is waiting. Am I right? It's like... Come on, generation that grew up like me, where you push a button, and two minutes later, your popcorn's pop. Come on, generation, where, like me, where now you can talk to your television and tell it what channel to go into and what to search for. You don't have to, like, scroll, or, ha- or you don't have to get up, walk over. Come on, bunny ears. That almost looked like the whip in the nene, right? Like, oh, never mind. I lost half of you. Don't look it up. Youth group, love you, did it for you, okay? Patience, forgiveness, love binds everything in perfect harmony. And then there's this one here uh, that Paul lays out, gratitude. I'm not an expert, but in the, even the small research I've done about psychology, 
Paul had insight before he even before there were even studies on psychology in the human brain. Paul had spiritual discernment to understand that something happens when you and I practice gratitude consistently. Yes. Studies have found that people that daily, on a daily basis, whether it's through journaling or speaking, things that they're grateful for, heal faster from anxiety, from depression, and PTSD at a 56% rate. In other words, gratitude literally rewires your brain. Heals your brain. Another one of Tony's crazy ideas. Here we go. God, I'm so grateful that we've got leadership in this house with vision. Oh, well, another new song that I don't know. God, I'm so grateful that you are inspiring people to continuously write never-ending songs and anthems for you. Oh, my kid's acting up again. Once again, God, I'm so grateful that you've entrusted me with the life of somebody to mold them into the character of Christ Jesus. Another stupid flat tire. God, I am so grateful for the vehicle you've provided me for. With. Are you seeing the difference? Paul goes on to say that the word of God is there to teach us and to correct us in wisdom. Some of us don't like the teaching and less of us like the correction. You want to know why you struggle with unity at times? Because you're unchecked in your character. No one can tell you anything. No one can call you up. No one can call you out. Not even the Word of God can. You've got arguments around it. I just just want to warn you, man and woman. Hypothetically, if it were to ever happen in this community, I just want to warn you. The Word of God is there to teach us. And it is there to correct us. And it is there to admonish us. In wisdom. Goes on to say, worshiping and songs in the spirit. I love this. Not because I was once a worship leader, a terrible one at that, but uh, because it speaks to what we do here when we gather together is not just out of tradition or just out of what we do in our Christian culture. Did you know that when we come together and together we declare these things, there's unity in that? Yes. And, and proof of that was even what happened this morning. Some of you came on a complete spectrum of different weeks. Hard weeks, difficult weeks, awesome weeks. Yet, you all begin to sing a song together. And it may mean different things to us. Yet, we're together united lifting up God. And we do everything in the name of the Lord. As unto the Lord. To please the Lord. Why? Because unity doesn't just bring delight to us. It doesn't just allow you and I to delight in one another, but also did you know that it brings delight to the Father? Amen. A couple weeks ago, we were, my family and I, we were invited on a camping trip that we didn't realize that um, a big portion of the extended family of, of this couple that invited us was going to be there. It kind of took over a whole campground. And 
on like a second or third night, they all got together, you know, people of different age groups. Some of them are struggling with faith. Some of them have kind of weird, skewed faith. Some of them are pastors, like just kind of a gamut of people, right? In different life seasons. And they got together one night and I, me and my family kind of stayed back. We let them kind of have their moment as, as they did like a little worship night around their campfire. And I thought, man, if, if I'm... If I'm the father of all these kids, I'm sitting back going, this is beautiful. Can you imagine how God the Father feels and delights when his children are in unity? Which brings me to my last week's third and final point, but this week's second and final point. You ready for this? Unity brings glory to God. Romans 15, 7 through 9 says, therefore, accept that the key word here is accept because I'm going to break it out for you in a second. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. Verse 9, he also came so that the Gentiles might give him glory for his mercies to them. That's Paul's version. If you don't like Pauline teaching, let me give you straight up red letter edition, Jesus teaching. One of the last prayers that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross is this. By the way, if Jesus chose now, at this moment, to pray this, I think we should listen up. I mean, it's like, these are the last few things I get to ask of God before I go. It's like my last meal. I think we should listen up. In John 17, 20, 23, Jesus praying, I do not ask for these only, but I also ask for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, I'm not just asking you for my current disciples right now. I'm asking you for Legacy Church in 2023, Meridian, Idaho, on the corner of Elm and Meridian Road. Yes. And this is what he's asking, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at this. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you and me and they become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Paraphrase. God, my desire is that they would be one so that the world would see how much they are loved. For those of you that are nerdy theologians like I pretend to be at times, I want to let you know something. Um, Church history hasn't always agreed with everything. The early church, church historians, theologians, we we argue a lot about a lot of different things. There's few things that we've landed on and have stuck for generations historically in the church. One of that is found in the Westminster Catechism. And that it states that the humanity's chief end is to glorify God. We see here that Paul understood that man was created to bring glory to God. In fact, the greatest question of all humanity has been, what am I here for? And the Westminster Catechism would tell you that your and my chief end, why we exist, is to bring glory to God. Unity 
is the way to bring glory to God. Jesus himself, as one of his last prayers, goes, bring him into unity so that you might be glorified. In fact, let me go back now to the book of Romans chapter 15, verse 7. And I want you to now reread this with me. Knowing that our chief end is to bring glory to God. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. How do we bring glory to God? By accepting one another. For some of you today, what what does acceptance mean? So glad you asked the question. Let me give you this really complicated word in the Greek that I can't pronounce, but it still makes me sound fancy. Proslambaneste. This word accept, of accepting one another just as Christ has accepted you, is this word right here, and it means, it's a three-part word. It means to first receive into one's arms, then to embrace, once embraced, to walk hand in hand. Uh, but Tony, they smell weird. Uh, but Tony, I've attempted to like journey with people and like walk them hand in hand through life, and all they've done is hurt me. Uh, but 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 Tony, like you're asking me to like receive an outsider, even like can this just be like my family? Except one another as Christ has accepted you. Is this not the picture of how Christ accepted you? Receives you into his arms. Embraces you. And doesn't just leave you there. Goes, let's walk together. How beautiful would it be if a church would unite under one umbrella of accepting one another that goes, I will walk hand in hand with you. And the reason we don't do it, and I said it last week and I gotta say it again until it gets into your spirit, is because we have allowed culture outside of these four walls to infiltrate the culture of these four walls as opposed to opposite. And so now cancel culture is a thing out there and now it's a thing in here. And so I'll walk with you, I'll embrace you as long as we see eye to eye on things. But the moment there's conflict, the moment you fall flat on your face, and I said this last week, i got to say it again, the moment you sin, instead of me, this is what the Bible says, those of you that are holy, restore the fallen brother in mercy. But you know what we do? They fell, and then we come up with words that aren't even in the Bible. They're backslidden. I'm just, just telling you how it is. God's calling us to walk hand in hand with one another. We go, brother, I know you're struggling with this. We're going to beat this thing together. Man, I know you've got this sin in your life. And thank you for trusting me and confessing it to me. And the book of James says that when you confess your sin to one another, you can find healing. And then it goes on to say that the prayer of a righteous person can avail much. So I'm going to believe that together, you and I, we've been justified in Christ. And now that you've revealed this to me, you're going to be healed. And I'm going to pray. And there's going to be power in that prayer. 
Here's why some of us struggle, though, with this, this third part here of walking hand in hand is, is also because we, we actually don't want people to walk us through things. We rather shrink back, cower, walk alone. I just want to tell you, God's inviting you into a beautiful unity with other believers to go, hey, I embrace you, I hold you, and together we journey together. Am I making sense? Yes. Unity, I got to hurry up, I'm almost done. Uh, Unity gives glory to God because of these reasons. One, it, it reflects God's very triune, united nature. Did you know that God is not just God alone? Do you know that it's not creepy or witchcraft or whatever else this world has made it? That like God is literally three persons in one, three natures in one. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and together they're united. Unity brings glory to God because it is a direct reflection of His very nature. And they can't help but work together. In fact, there's time and time again in Scripture, we read Jesus going, I'm not going to do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. And when the Holy Spirit shows up and is mentioned, we see even at Jesus' baptism, the very first time all three are together in the same place, a dove, right? The representation of the Spirit descends, a voice from heaven, the Father goes, this is my Son who I'm well well pleasing, and there's Jesus. It is in His nature, and we bring glory to Him by reflecting this nature. Number two, it fulfills God's mission on earth to reach the lost and broken. I got to tell it to you this way. We will never reach the lost and broken if we cannot agree on our mission. We'll create silos with like-minded people. We'll create little local churches where we all kind of think the same way and talk the same way. And anyone else that's lost and broken doesn't get to come in. I'm going to leave that one at that. The fire alarm is going off. Nobody afraid. It's just that it's so hot up on the stage. Not because of me. Uh, Number three, it promotes and fulfills the greatest commandment of loving God and loving others. And number four, it's a powerful testimony to the world, making us ambassadors. In other words, proper representatives of Christ. And I got to say it to you this way. I know it sounds a little harsh, but it makes us proper representatives of Christ as opposed to walking jokes of who Christ is. Ultimately, unity brings glory to God through the unification and the pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. Ben, you can come on up. You see, when Christ is at the center of my life. Hear me, church, and don't be distracted by the beautiful people coming up onto the stage. When Christ is truly my all in all, my beginning, my end, my in-between, hear me when I'm about what I'm about to say. There will be little to no room for division. When Christ truly becomes the center of my being, Not just kind of sprinkled into my life here and there. Not just kind of this idea that I dabble with. But when I go all in. 
When God is my everything, my all in all, my beginning, my end, the first thing I seek in the day, the, the very thing I cling to throughout the day, the very thing I think in the middle of the night, all, all of the, all my being is Christ. It means now my friendships, my relationships, everything I do is centered around bringing glory to Him. When we live that way, hear me church, I know it's a big statement, but there will be little to no room for division. Usually I don't like to read books from the pulpit that are not the word of God. Um, and I'm always very careful. You know this if you know me. I'm always very careful to recommend a book because I think every book should be taken kind of like a colander, right? Where like you keep the good and you let the bad out. But then how do you know what to discern unless you really know the word of God? I want to tell you I highly recommend this book, No Diving, by Dr. David Campbell. He is a, a pastor, a church planter. He's also a professor in multiple universities. And he's currently a professor at the seminary that my wife goes to and the seminary I studied at, uh, connected to kind of the network we're a part of. And he wrote this book called No Diving. And I'll tell you what, it is amazing. And essentially, it talks about 10 different ways to not go, to not dive into the shallow end of your faith. But it, it talks about kind of 10 different pillars of our belief, one, one of which he talks about the church and unity in the church. And so as I was reading, as I was preparing uh, for this message, I, I felt it appropriate to read to you two whole pages from this book. So hang in there with me. I just I want to I want to make a couple points here. The church is not a building. We know this, but it does have a structure. It is not just a crowd gathered together for no purpose. The New Testament gives a very specific form to the structure of the church. It is the body of Christ. The church is never called simply a body, but it's always mentioned as a body in Christ or of Christ. See Romans 12.5, uh, 1 Corinthians 12.27, Ephesians 4.12. In other words, the church receives, listen to this, its significance as a body or corporate reality only in its relationship to Jesus Christ. Every other human family, organization, society, or nation is related on a purely human or natural basis. Only the church is constituted on the basis of its relationship to Christ. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.12 12. We would have expected Paul to end this statement on the body with, so it is with the church, which would nicely make his point comparing the church to the human body. But instead, did you notice that even though his topic is unity in the church, he ends the statement instead of, with so it is with Christ. What he means is that the body, which is the church, is not just the church as a group of people, but it is really truly a part of Christ himself. This statement, though familiar to our ears, must have been stunning to the first people that read it. The significance and value of each person is determined only in relationship to Christ. Christ has placed each member in the body, and this is why the body cannot function properly without each member, look at me, being healthy and valued. That is why the church as an organization is completely unlike any other human entity. In fact, it is not so much an organization as it is an organism, a network of relationships rooted in the relationship of each member with Christ. It is not built with a view of making the leaders look good or even make the organization appear outwardly successful. It is built instead on the foundation of the infinite worth and value of each of its members. I'm talking about you. 
And this in turn affects how it views and treats those outside its boundaries for whom Christ has also died. I'm almost done. The idea of the church as the body speaks to the issue of unity. Our unity is determined not by our relationship with one another, but by our common relationship with Christ. Just as the piano is tuned on the basis of the relationship of each note to the next, uh, excuse me, just as the piano is not tuned on the basis of the relationship of each note to the next, but on the common relationship of all the notes to the tuning fork, so it is with the church. Our unity is not even based on an allegiance to a statement of faith or common set of doctrines, although part of obedience to Christ is obedience to His Word and its unquestionable and final authority in our lives. Our unity, though, is based on our common relationship to Christ and the fact that He has made us all members of His body and therefore members of one another. Last sentence. This is why the church can bring together People who would never ordinarily relate to one another. People of every race, people of every class, people of every educational level and personality type. You might be here today and you might be going, that all sounds great, Tony, and this whole acceptance thing of one another sounds great. But if I'm honest, this isn't my experience with church. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're going, my experience with church has actually been that I haven't been accepted. Maybe I've been rejected. Or maybe, if you're really honest, you go, I've actually been one of those people that doesn't accept and actually rejects people. Here's what's beautiful for both scenarios. Both scenarios, there is a God here right now in this very moment willing to heal both of those scenarios. You're here today and you're hurt. I want to encourage you today, this moment, God can meet you where you're at, help you to forgive, help you to heal, and help you to get brave again. I'm going to be honest. I'm in that boat today with you. That's where I'm at personally. If you're here and you're going, God, I got to repent from being that person that doesn't actually accept the way you've called us into acceptance. Here's what's beautiful is I've also been there. And you know what I've been met with? God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness, and even more so, the Spirit's empowerment to live differently. I know you probably land somewhere in there. So here's what I want to encourage you to do is I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. And as we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to have moments of reflection with the Lord about where you're at. You can at any point head on over to the prayer corner and have prayer with somebody there from the team. You can also come forward for communion in the tables up here. Because at the end of the day, like we said, what unifies us is this, is this, is that we've all been saved by the sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So today is a perfect day for you to take communion in remembrance of what that sacrifice means for you. Let's stand to our feet together and let's respond. Father, I thank you because you are here and you are willing to meet all of us right where we're at. I pray now, Spirit of God, if there's people here that need to be healed from past wounds and need to find forgiveness and a new, and a new uh, willingness to put themselves back out there, I pray, God, that you would minister that to them.
Pray, God, that if there's those of us here that need to repent, God, that we would do so humbly before you and receive your forgiveness and that your spirit would empower us to live this out. Teach us, God. Teach us, O oh Lord, to, to walk in unity, not just in our families, not just in our, uh, our homes, but in this local church, outside of its four walls and in the greater kingdom of God as well. I thank you, Lord, because your word truly does not just inspire us, but it guides us and it directs us. And that's my prayer for every person today, that you would guide and direct them according to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you once again for joining us today. We hope today's message encouraged you, challenged you, and caused your faith to grow. If you enjoyed today's message, we highly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. That way you don't miss out on any future messages. To get to know us, to get connected with us, and to know how you can best partner with us, head to our website, LegacyChurchID.com, or come see us in person at our campus in Meridian, Idaho. We look forward to connecting with you. May God bless you and have a great rest of your day.